0: Behold, we go up to Jerusalem in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So today's uh, gospel talks to us a little bit about uh, the man uh, who is blind and and seeks our Lord uh, to obtain his sight. And later on during Lent, there's another episode of a man who is born blind uh, and our Lord heals him. And the church puts this gospel before us today as a sort of a a kind of paradox where it is uh, the blind man that sees and the apostles who represent us in some way who don't see. Uh, The blind man acknowledges his blindness and yet the apostles who Uh, with our Lord refused to see uh, their blindness. Notice our Lord uh, tells the apostles, our Lord, the divine realist, he tells the apostles in today's gospel that he's going to uh, go up uh, to Jerusalem in order to be handed over, to be betrayed, to be uh, taken hold of, spat upon, uh, rejected, uh, and then crucified and dies and then he's going to rise again. But notice that throughout the New Testament our Lord tells the apostles this reality many times and almost every time our Lord tells them this they either ignore it or act like they don't hear it because it doesn't suit the narrative that they have in their mind about our Lord or their own life. So they seem to somehow selectively act like they just didn't hear it. And we tend somewhat to do the same. We act like we didn't hear it. But what's interesting is what goes on after that. The, this man who is blind comes uh, to our Lord. And he can acknowledge his blindness. And he knows uh, who it is that comes before him. And so St. Gregory the Great says... Whosoever acknowledges the darkness of his own blindness, whosoever sees within himself the need of eternal light, let him cry out from his own depths uh, of his heart, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. That should be our prayer. That should be our cry. That should be our sentiment. Uh, Truly, uh, there is none so blind as those who refuse to see. And today, uh, blindness is, we might say, a key symbol of the modern world. We live in a world of, we can say, that is worse than the Dark Ages. I tend to call it the Dumb Ages. We are so uh, insanely blind, it's just beyond comprehension. But what's interesting is this, this man, in, in simply grasping the passing of our Lord, acknowledges who it is that has passed before him. Who is it that has passed before him? The blind man, says St. Cyril, already having... a That this this person passing before him, this divine person, was the word of God, who of his own will had been born according to the flesh from the virgin. He came before him as a God, saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. And that it uh, was his belief, he offered up his prayer to God, to our Lord. And our Lord would say, it's your faith that has made you whole. Not just your petition, but your faith in who I am and what I am capable of doing for you. Something that the apostles could not see, this blind man could see. Uh, But what's interesting is this man had to uh, not only cry out, but he had to constantly uh, cry out and all the louder because the crowd wanted to silence him, the gospel says. He's an insignificant person, he uh, doesn't uh, meet our criteria. Uh, and again, I, I, many times when I read this gospel, I actually am somewhat disgusted with the, the attitude of the apostles. This man is in need. And what do they do? Well, just ignore him. He cares. He's not, he's not important. Uh, he's blind man. Leave, tell him to shut up. And we with our Lord. Uh, you can see the attitude at this point of the apostles is they don't really understand what our Lord is about. Our Lord came for these people. Our Lord is the come to bring salvation to the world. They, they don't really grasp the mission of our Lord at this point. And their attitude is precisely a disgusting attitude. Instead of bringing him to our Lord, uh, they want to silence him. But the uh, commentators on this explain to us that this man... Uh, Reminds us of ourselves The torment of the world Is going to stop us from coming to our Lord And unless Unless we uh, Raise up our, our fervour All the more uh, We will be crushed by the spirit of Temptation, the world Self pity If this man had been put off Simply by being Despised, by being told to shut up Well He could have done like many of us do When when we get rejected, what happens? We we fall into self-pity. And then we we turn to our vices to indulge our self-pity. If that man had done that, he would have not only remained blind for the rest of his life, but he would have died in his sins. On the contrary, he was not uh, put off by the rejection. All the more did he become bolder. And he forced our Lord to stop. With what power did he force our Lord to stop? With the power of his faith, he moved God. And God stopped. Our Lord stopped. And our Lord ironically asks him, What do you want of me? And again, for me, many times when I read the gospel, that statement is insane. Why would our Lord ask a blind man, What do you want? It's obvious what he wants. But our Lord asks it in order to draw out from the man his own mouth, understanding what he's seeking. And in, in this point, the saints point out that our Lord is always more eager to give to us that which we ask than we are to ask it or even to receive it. Our Lord is more eager to give to us that which we ask of him than we are to ask it or to receive it. And the saints, particularly St. John Chrysostom, says, do not be discouraged if you ask something of God and he doesn't give it instantaneously. He asks of you only perseverance. Perseverance in that which you are asking, like this man in today's gospel, that you may receive it. And then when you receive it, all the more you value it, like this man, not only did he receive his sight, but he went on to follow our Lord. Our Lord doesn't want to give us things like a a, a father or mother gives to a little child. He wants to give us things as as a father gives to his mature sons who understand A, who it is giving to them and B, the purpose is to draw us closer to be disciples of our Lord, to be closer followers of our Lord, closer imitators of our Lord. This is why our Lord grants these things. If our Lord grants uh, physical healings, it is so he may heal the real illness in our soul, uh, which is a spiritual illness. Our Lord's not just there to uh, make the world better on a natural level. He's there to elevate us, to lead us to the supernatural order. But by means of the natural order, healing the physical blindness, in order that by through that, the spiritual illness may be cured. And here our Lord not only teaches uh, us a profound lesson, but this was also a profound lesson for uh, the uh, uh, apostles themselves, for them to learn what is our Lord's mission, what is he about. And I I think this brings me to the heart of the point that I want to get to today. That is, notice the very beginning of... The gospel today, our Lord starts off by telling the uh, disciples what's going to happen. Our Lord, in telling them that, and he mentions it many times in the New Testament, and our Lord never speaks of his passion and death without speaking also of his resurrection. It's part of the one complete reality. And notice that our Lord also cites that this was foretold by the prophets. So, all the more you ought not to be scandalized. But our Lord seems to have to scandalise the apostles. And this is what you'll see later on uh, as we approach uh, uh, the Good Friday. What happens? The apostles abandon our Lord. They're scandalised. Why are they scandalised? When he already told them, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to endure all these things, they're going to put me to death. They already told them many times why are they scandalised. Because they selectively shut it out. Our Lord's message was inconvenient so they didn't really want to hear it. Um, and we all know this. Often our parents will tell us many things. They'll warn us many times. And because it doesn't fit in with what we want to hear, we either resent it or we just like, we act like we didn't hear it. It's only until we suffer the consequence of, of willfully resenting or resisting that reality. And it comes to hit us one day that we realize, Oh, actually, my parents had warned me. My, uh, my superiors had told me uh, I didn't listen. Uh, Our Lord done that with the apostles. He had to scandalise them by going to his passion in order to break from them the illusion that they had in their mind. And what does our Lord tell them? He tells them about the very three things that we all don't want to hear about. Suffering, confronting evil and death. And what does Lent start off with? Reminding us of the very thing that we all fear and and want to avoid at all costs. Man, you are uh, uh, ashes. Man, you are dust. And from the to the uh, the dust, you return. You're going to die. The very thing that we fear to confront, our Lord prepares the apostles to confront. Suffering. I'm going to suffer. Later on, the uh, the apostle St. Peter says, we don't want to hear this. And our Lord says to him, get you behind me, Satan, because you savour not the things of God. How how much we dread the very thought that we may suffer. And in the case of our Lord, our Lord knew he was going to suffer. In our case, we may never suffer 95% of the things that we dread we may suffer. And you know how much safeguards we put up lest the possibility that we may suffer may come so we protect ourselves and surround ourselves with all these things, lest we might actually suffer some sort of uh, difficulty, inconvenience, whatever it may be, Uh, evil. Our Lord is telling them he's going to be uh, handed over to the Gentiles. He's going to be spat upon. Our Lord tells them about confronting evil. And our Lord is not afraid to confront evil. You know, today we hear this all the time. uh, Father, you know, I'm not confrontational. And I fear that most people today, because they're not confrontational, they will end up in hell one day. Because we are not confrontational. The world is evil. And like our Lord, we have to confront the evil. And many of the religious leaders in the time of our Lord, they were evil. And our Lord confronted them. And our Lord openly said to them, You are of your father, the devil. Many of the religious leaders today in the church are evil. And they are of their father, the devil. Including uh, the high priest of the New Testament. The Pope is evil. And he's of his father, the devil. He does the things of the devil. We have to be honest about that. And even our Lord, when St. Peter went wrong, our Lord says to him, Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because they are savouring of the things of the world it's the spirit of the world which is not of the spirit of god this is the things that we fear to confront the things that have led so many people today A vast amount of australians are, are on some sort of uh, anti-depressant many people today are, are mentally ill and they are mentally ill because they fear something our lord says I fear nothing. Fear nothing. We have God with us. Our Lord telling the apostles to be realists. And uh, they are going to run away when evil comes. But after Pentecost, when evil comes, they stand in its face. They rejoice at the fact that they were able to be scourged and suffer something for our Lord. I am afraid that today we have become like the apostles Before Pentecost, worldly blinded people who are afraid of the wind. You know, unfortunately with this uh, uh, recent uh, so-called COVID nonsense, we were afraid of a flu. We thought it was the bionic plague. Uh, This is what they made of people. Uh, We became so frightful of nothing. In a world when we have... All the more reason not to be afraid. We have all the medicine and science that should make us all the less fearful, and we have become beyond comprehension fearful. We struggle to go uh, uh, half an hour, an hour without taking a, a, a bottle of water with us. We can't cope. I might have to suffer being thirsty. Imagine that. Uh, and my my health takes priority over everything. And there should should anyone dare disillusion us of that, we become angry. Uh, My health is so important. We become health fanatics. If we did only one-tenth or maybe one-hundredth of what we do for our health, for our soul, we'd all be saints today. But my health is so important. Uh, Actually, it's not. He who loves his life in this world shall lose it, says our Lord. He who hates his life in this world for my name's sake shall gain it unto eternal life. And you know, if if we think of, of Lent as being a very difficult time, just go to anybody who takes any sorts of sports serious in this world. Look at the routine that they will endure, the sufferings and sacrifices they will make for this world. And then you want them, these people, to actually think and believe that we... Catholics believe in God. That's never going to happen. We don't even make one hundredth of a sacrifice compared to what these worldly people make for the world. And then you want them to believe that we actually believe in a a transcendent God? They're not going to. Because we make a mockery of our God, of our attitude. It's like we have a a, a Christian band-aid and we claim at the same time to worship a God that is crucified. St. Paul would say, I fill up in my body in my body, that which is lacking in the passion of Christ. I fast, I pray, I scourge myself, lest after having preached to others, me, St. Paul, be cast away, be condemned. I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. St. Paul could say that. How much more us today, in a world where we have become very affluent in our outlook, we have become very worldly in our outlook, we have taken a human solution to a divine problem. It reminds me of uh, the Old Testament, just prior to the uh, Babylonian captivity, we read in the eighth year of his reign, the reign of King Josias, uh, that uh, he wanted to seek to restore uh, the right worship to God because his father was a wicked king. His father uh, had set up many of the false idols in Israel. His father Josias, uh, 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 Amnon, his father Amnon had set up many false idolatrous Statues and images in the temple. So his son uh, Josiah sought to destroy all those uh, idols. And he succeeded. But the problem was that the people of Israel had a habit, had acquired a habit of having their own idols in their homes. And so God could not get them to change their habits, their structures. So God took them away. He destroyed that temple and had them all taken away into captivity uh, under Nebuchadnezzar. Despite the good intentions of the king because their hearts had become corrupt. The church prior to the council was in the same state. Maybe you had some good bishops and priests overall but the hearts and minds of the greater number of the bishops, the priests and lay people had become worldly so God abandoned us to our own devices and he took away those once amazing structures from us the liturgy uh, beautiful uh, convents and schools filled with uh, thousands and thousands of priests all around the world and religious it's all gone because we had become worldly and this is a reality for us. Today we have a wicked high priest who, who promotes this adulterous worship, uh, ecumenism, uh, climate change, and uh, the globalist agenda. And the clergy and the bishops smile along and go along with it. And no one is dares to be a realist, to call out the spade for the being the spade. Uh, we all go along and everything's fine. And to speak the truth, makes you unpopular makes you actually makes you lonely to speak the truth to acknowledge the truth is not easy for us because it means in all honesty we have to first confront the greatest evil in our lives and that's ourselves that is not easy that is very hard for us but that's the first evil we must confront ourselves The apostles were were overall weak uh, individuals just like you and me. Very worldly, very um, concerned about their comfort, their financial uh, status. Even though they were uh, God-believing people, they were very weak and very worldly-minded. And you see this. Uh, Every time our Lord speaks on a supernatural or spiritual level, they respond with a worldly outlook a worldly response. And yet they were supposed to be God-fearing Jews. Same thing with us. So that's a sign of encouragement. Uh, Our Lord works with weak uh, human beings, but the difference is they had goodwill. Despite their weakness, despite their shortcomings, despite even their blindness and short-sightedness, our Lord does not despise them for that. Our Lord does not reject them for that. Our Lord brings them to him and he elevates them. And here we see during the actual captivity, what is the re- response of the prophet Daniel? Prophet Daniel, when he is uh, uh, taken uh, and is going to be placed into the fiery furnace, what does he say? He responds with beautiful sentiments acknowledging that it's indeed He praises God in the sufferings, in the sorrows. He says, "For according to the truth of and judgment, you, O God, has brought all these things upon us for our sins, for we have sinned and committed iniquity, uh, uh, departing from you, and we have uh, transpassed and transgressed you in all things, and we have not hearkened to thy commandments, nor have we observed, uh, uh, nor uh, done." as you commanded us, that it might go well with us. Wherefore, all that you have brought upon us and done to us, you have done in true judgment, and you have delivered us into the hand of our enemies uh, that are unjust and most wicked, and the provocators, and to a king unjust, the most wicked beyond all that are upon the earth. And now we cannot open our mouths we are become a shame and reproach to thy servants and to them that worship thee. And how does that not sum up our times? We are subject to rulers that are absolutely wicked. Almost every single leader in the West in general are absolutely evil and wicked. We have a wicked government in Australia, wicked leaders, and they are both effeminate and stupid beyond comprehension. I've seen 10-year-olds with greater intelligence. But God has, has ushered, on, uh, given us these leaders because we deserve this wickedness. Because we have been unfaithful. We are, and there's a price for that infidelity. A price for that blindness. A, a, pli, a price for the rejection of God and His commandments and His laws. And this is the price that we are paying today. We must acknowledge that. Uh, Daniel goes on to say neither uh, there as, uh, at this time princes or leaders or prophets or a holocaust or sacrifice or oblation or incense or place of firstfruits uh, there before thee. That we may find mercy nevertheless in a contrite heart a humble spirit lead us uh, to acceptance. As in the holocaust uh, of rams and bullocks and in the thousand fat uh, lambs, so let our sacrifice be made uh, in thy sight this day, that it may please thee. For there, is no confu- uh, for there is no confusion to them that trust in thee. And now we follow thee in all our hearts, and we find, uh, uh, we fear thee and seek thy face. Put us not uh, to confusion. Uh, but deal with us according to thy meekness and according to the multitude of your mercies. And we can say the same. There are no real leaders, princes, prophets today uh, worthy of the name. We are without any real temple in the sense of our churches have been either destroyed or taken away from us. We are outcasts. We live in an exile. But for all that, God does not despise our prayers. Perhaps we needed that to value uh, these things. You know, I, I often see it, and I've seen it with so many of our faithful, when they're in the Navasota, they come over to tradition, and they say, in the Nerva Father, they never talk to us about hell or judgment or, or uh, sin or anything. And then they come to tradition and they say, Father, how come you only talk about hell, judgment and sin? The people are not good. People are not good. They don't want to hear it today. Uh, it, even the best, the priests don't say these things, even the tradition, because they know the people don't want to hear it. And they are often afraid of what the people are going to react, what they say. People are not going to talk to you. Uh, because at the end of the day, we are sinners. We need to hear these things. And we need to acknowledge these things. Uh, Hell doesn't disappear because uh, the priest doesn't talk about it. The priest doesn't acknowledge it. Uh, Sins don't disappear because you don't acknowledge it. We just become more and more morbid, more and more perverted, more and more out of whack, and more and more unhappy and miserable. That's just the reality. True happiness is only found in the grace of Christ, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in his kingdom. And his kingdom begins on earth for us. Hell doesn't begin in the next life, it begins here. Heaven doesn't begin in the next life, it begins here. We must acknowledge this reality. Our Lord is the divine realist. He wants us to be like Him, a realist, brave. That we must acknowledge yes, in this life there is evil, there must be suffering. We are all going to die. Our Lord reminds us and he's talking to the apostles unless you all do penance you shall perish. How much more we? Penance is necessary for us. It's beneficial for us. St Thomas Aquinas points out that suffering removes from us the superficial in reality. It brings us to reality as it is. Therefore it's necessary for us. It's beneficial for us to grasp the true perspective, the true meaning of this life and to have the true value of things in this world. That suffering is necessary. And if we don't see it that way, we become blinded. We don't say as Catholics that suffering is the end. No. Suffering is only the means. The end is glory. The end is eternal bliss. But it's the means. The world does the opposite. The world starts with glory and wants you to believe that your life will become glorious. But how is ironic is it at this point that the world that promotes uh, unlimited bridal uh, joy or passions, uh, everything you want today, there's no standards of morality, no standards of ethics, whatever you want. And yet in the Western world, take aside from the fact that we are dumber than our forefathers ever were. But even on the the level of of indulgence, we have never seen in the history of humanity the extent of physical and mental illnesses that we are seeing in the modern world. Never. And yet we've got everything going for us on a natural level. We live, even by comparison to what people lived 50 or 60 years ago, all of us, even from the little child to the adult, we live like kings today. Air-conditioned, Uh, great powered cars, everything you can imagine. Push of a button, I can speak to someone on the other side of the world. For all that, have we become better people? On the contrary, all the worse, on so many levels, so many levels. It hasn't benefited us because we've lost sight of the focal point, the cross. These things are only going to benefit us if we have in mind the reality by which they are there the focal point we are here and in this life we must confront evil and if you refuse to you will perish we have a duty to confront many times in the New Testament our Lord openly confronts the religious leaders and he tells them they are of their father the devil not on every occasion but there are times when our Lord is blunt our Lord is clear there are times in life where you've got to be blunt with yourself you've got to be honest with yourself You've got to acknowledge the reality as it is, not as you want it to, to be. And the same thing in relation sometimes to our children or to those around us. We've got to call the spade a spade. Yes, in a way that would be received well by them, good. But for all that, we must not avoid the confrontation. Acting like we are good people just because we avoid confrontation is perverted. It's perverted. Uh, it's perverted. The leaders get away with what they do today because we we refuse to confront them. Uh, We refuse to confront them for the evil that they are doing. We just go along with it. Uh, They get away with it. That's what St. Pius X said. Evil only prevails because of the silence of the good people who, by being silent, cease to actually be good because the good man does his duty. And sometimes it's our duty to confront evil directly as the saints and confessors and martyrs did. And they, they, they fought for far less. They were not willing to compromise with the evils of their time. The evil ideas, the evil sentiments, the evil spirit, the evil fashions, the evil trends of their time, they refused. Today we go along, we just think it's okay, it's not so bad. We don't even see anymore how perverted it has become. Because we've embraced the whole spirit behind it. And, and all of us are guilty of this. Not just, the, not just the lay people, the priests, the bishops, they're all guilty of this, this worldly, uh, ungodly spirit that has entered their hearts and their minds and has paralysed the church as a result. Bishop Fulton Sheen says, the solution to this explains that the world's greatest need is great men. Someone who will understand that there is no greater uh, conquest than victory over oneself. Someone who will realize that the real worth is achieved not by much activity as by silence. Someone who will seek the kingdom of God and his justice and put into practice the law that is only by dying to the life of the body that we will live to the life of the spirit. Someone who will brave the taunts of Good Friday to win the joys of Easter Sunday, who will, like the lightning uh, flash, burn away the bonds of feeble interests which tie down our energies to the world, who, with a fearless voice like John the Baptist, will arouse our enfeebled nature out of the uh, sleek dream of unheroic response, who will gain victories, not by stepping down from the cross and compromising with the world, but who will suffer in order to conquer the world. In a word, what we need are saints, for saints are truly great men. That's what the world needs. Those who see the world from a supernatural optic, those who understand that for which we are called, uh, we must have the courage to face each day with that sentiment of being willing to suffer, being willing to die to self, being willing to acknowledge that we must brave the evil. We have to brave the evil. It's not easy for us. We are, we are weak. And, and that is not to, to, to make you feel bad. We are all weak. I'm not, not, not excluding myself. But we must acknowledge our weakness. That's where the evil is. To not acknowledge the evil and not to resent or resist, should I say, the evil. We must acknowledge it. And we must fight against it. Uh, as St. Ignatius says in the Ignatian retreat, uh, When we feel downcast, I don't want to pray a rosary, just pray too. Fight against it. Acknowledge it. Fight against it. Fight back against it. And so we, as we approach this uh, Lenten reality, let us ask uh, Our Lady, Our Lady under the title of Our Lady of Sorrows, Our Lady was uh, without sin. And for for all that, our Lord did not remove the cross from her, for her. That's not what our Lord does for his friends. Our Lord gives them the strength and the courage uh, and the supernatural assistance to help them brave the sorrows of this life, the trials and the difficulties. What we want to ask our Lady is to help us precisely to be generous in this reality, to be faithful in this reality, so that together with her and her Son, we may reign one day in glorious in that kingdom which has no end forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Amen.